Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here for our Big Time Talker podcast. We are live and nationwide on all the big cast platforms, uh, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. And we're also doing this in conjunction with our friends at Headline Books and their Zoom into Books program. Speaker Match is the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a meeting planner or a platform speaker, get together and find one another at speakermatch.com. You know, this time of year, in September of the year, lots of folks talk about where they were on a very uh, somber day in American history, September 11th, 2001. And now we're 20 years later, so those conversations have amped up. And our guest today, Rob Quillen, has a, a pretty interesting connection, not only to September 11th, but his story begins the day before on September 10th. And Rob joins us from uh, Nebraska. Hey, Rob, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Bert. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you uh, you have a background in sports and specifically NASCAR. What were you doing 20 years ago on September 10, 2001? Yeah, so on the 10th of September, I was uh, flying to New York City for, I was working for, I was a salesperson at the time, and the company I was working with is based out of New Jersey, New York area. And we were doing a kind of a mid-year um, sales meeting. And uh, there, were, there were three different meetings. Uh, they were going to try something to do. Instead of putting thousands of people or hundreds of salespeople in one room, they were going to break up the meetings. Uh, one group was going to head to San Francisco. Another group was going to head to Chicago. And then another group was going to head to New York City. And um, I got stuck going to the meeting in New York City, which made no sense to me, given the fact that I live in Omaha, Nebraska, and I could fly to Chicago in a 41-minute flight, right? Yep. But um, I got put into the meeting in, in New York City. So I was flying in um, to New York City. My original flight, Bert, I was supposed to go Omaha, uh, Chicago, and then into JFK. And I got uh, kicked off of my flight. We lived in Lincoln, Nebraska at the time. I got kicked off of my flight in Lincoln because it was oversold. And um, which is which is a totally different story, but uh, we'll, we can talk about that another time. But uh, <laughs> I ended up flying Omaha to Denver, Denver to um, Newark. Well, suddenly you're really going out of your way here. Way out of my way. I'm flying back over Nebraska to, <laughs> to get where I was supposed to go. Yep. And um, uh, the flight from Denver to Newark, um, I thought I had a whole road to myself. And right before the plane took off, um, a stranger came and sat down in, in my road. No, no different than a lot of flights we get on, right? Sure. And um, I always I always wear a suit on a business flight. Um, but for some reason, this particular flight, I was just going to wear jeans and I wore a Jeff Gordon polo shirt. And if you don't and know Jeff, Jeff Gordon, Gordon, for folks who aren't familiar, who is Jeff Gordon? Yeah, Jeff Gordon um, was at the time a superstar NASCAR driver, race car driver. Uh, he ended up being the four-time champion of the sport. Uh, second all-time in wins for the sport, just just amazing. He was a he was the Michael Jordan of, of NASCAR, if you will. Got it. And uh, this guy started just just a conversation about racing. And I never talked to anybody on an airplane, Burke. I mean, this is this is my time, right? This is my alone time. My, my boss isn't calling me, my you know whatever. And we just struck up a conversation, and and that person ended up being uh, Jason Dahl who the next day was the pilot of Flight 93 that crashed in the, in the field in Pennsylvania during the terrorist attacks. And uh, somehow 
some way, for some reason in the middle of this flight from, from Denver to, to New Jersey, um, Jason felt compelled to tell uh, a dream that he had, tell me a dream that he had for his then 15-year-old son, which was he wanted to go to NASCAR race and he wanted to meet Jeff Gordon. And I just so happened um, prior to 9-11, um, the, the NASCAR schedule was a couple weeks after the 10th, um, the first ever NASCAR race at the brand new Kansas Speedway down in Kansas City uh, was happening. And my company let me do a customer appreciation event. I got 60 tickets for this race and I couldn't get rid of the last two tickets. So I offered Jason and Matt these two tickets. Oh, Obviously, I said, hey, here, yeah. look, I can help you with this. Yeah. Uh, and I remember specifically telling him, I can't get you to meet Jeff Gordon. But at least you guys can go to the NASCAR race, see Jeff Gordon race and, you know, and have a weekend to yourselves. And, and, he, and he accepted. Obviously, I didn't have the tickets on me, um, but we exchanged business cards, cell phone numbers and and things like that. So we land uh, in uh, in Newark at around 10 o'clock that night and and we shook hands and said we were looking forward to talking to each other in a couple of weeks. We got home from our, our respective trips. Rob Quillen is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast, and he's the author of Why Wait? Fulfilling Dreams from Tragedy. And uh, he's talking about this chance encounter he had with uh, Captain Jason Dahl, who was one of the pilots of United Airlines Flight 93 when it crashed into that field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, during the 9-11 terror attacks. Was uh, was Captain Dahl uh, suited up when he got on the flight? Did you know he was no. a pilot? Yeah. No, he was just, I think, they, I think the official term that they call is deadheading. Right. Um, so I think he was wearing jeans and probably just a polo shirt. Yeah. No idea that he was a pilot until he told me. And, you know, we've all uh, been on these flights. And as you said, I, I'm like you. I generally put my head down and, and I rest or I read. I get caught up on email. Um, and so it's very unusual to to strike up a conversation with, with someone other than, than uh, uh, you know, a casual, courteous hello. What right. was it about this guy who you'd never met before that, that made you feel comfortable to have a conversation with him and, and for him to have a conversation with you? So um, I have a serious, serious passion for anything racing related. Um, I'm a big NASCAR fan, F1 fan, Indy fan. And anytime anybody's going to strike up a conversation with me about racing, um, you have my full attention. You're all in. Yeah, I'm all in. Exactly. So he started talking about you know, races and, you know, they went, he and Matt used to go to the Indy 500 with, with their grandpa. And so I was just fully engaged in, in that conversation. So it's, uh, it, it was, if he would have been talking about field hockey, I probably wouldn't have said too much more, but he was, he was talking my passion. And you, um, you'd share with me before we went on the air that you're an air force veteran. Yes. Did, uh, did you guys talk uh, planes and flying oh, yeah. all about NASCAR? Yeah, we talked about different planes, uh, talked about different airports. Uh, he gave me tips on airports to not fly into. Yeah, we talked. We talked a lot of flying. For folks that, that didn't know Captain Dahl, and maybe they're, they're a little bit familiar with him because of, of that horrible thing that happened on, on 9-11, um, this was the only time you, you spent time with him in person, but paint a picture of what he was like? He, um, and, and it, that's an interesting question, Bert, because that, that, you know, three hour flight was the only time that I ever visited with him. And, but staying involved with the family afterwards, um, specifically with the Jason Dahl Scholarship Foundation and getting to know Jason's uh, widow, Sandy, very well. I got to know more and more about him 
you know, over, over the years. And he, he was exactly what I felt like when I was talking to him. He was a lot of fun. Uh, he would like to have fun. He was very funny. Um, and just a, a genuine, genuine, genuine family man. And I remember, and I think that this is in the book, you know, Jason went on just telling stories about what he and Matt used to do when, when you know, growing up. And I remember thinking to myself at some point, you know, because at the time my kids were little, uh, my daughter was two and my son was just born. And, uh, you know, I remember thinking to myself, this is the type of dad that I need to be. This is the type of dad I want to be, you know, and then that's that has stuck with me through the years. Well, you know, it was interesting. You mentioned that one of the first things he talked about was I want to take my son to a NASCAR race. I'd love yeah. for him to meet Jeff Gordon. And, and that speaks to what kind of dad he was. Uh, the book, by the way, is, is called Why Wait? Fulfilling Dreams from Tragedy. Rob Quillen is the author. He's our guest today. And if you'd like to pick the book up, uh, go to headlinebooks.com. Headlinebooks.com. If you want a Kindle version, uh, you can always check out amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Ask for Why Wait? by Rob Quillen. Okay, so let's, uh, and I'm treading gingerly here, but let's fast forward to the next morning. You are then, I guess, in uh, New York City because of this the sales meeting that you have to attend. Yeah, we weren't, we weren't terribly far from, from the Twin Towers. What do you remember and, about that morning? Because we all have, uh, and it's one of those rare instances where everyone who was alive at that time has a very distinct memory that sort of seared in as to where they were and what was happening. So take me to that morning uh, around 9 a.m. in New York um, City for you. We just, we just started our meetings. And I think um, there, there were you know, some of the C-level folks were up in front of the room addressing, kind of going through this agenda for the next two or three days for our sales meeting. And like a, like a hotel worker, like a banquet server, somebody comes into the room and, and whispers something into the ear of, the, of the, whoever was speaking to us at the time. It might have been our CFO. And he kind of stops and talks to the other people that are on the stage. And he comes back to the microphone and he goes, we just found out uh, that there was some sort of plane crash in one of the, one of the World Trade Center buildings. And... What we, we haven't talked about yet is the day before, there was a lot of my uh, teammates, coworkers that were having flight issues coming into New York City. So not everybody who was supposed to be there was there yet, right? And so he decided, even though we just started to, to just started this meeting, that we were going to take a 10 or 15 minute break. And, um, and he was going to call the travel department to see where it, what was going on, you know. So, and we talked about this before we came on the air. I live in Nebraska. We get a lot of tornadoes. And when I'm watching my TV and my weatherman comes on my TV and says, hey, Rob, there's a tornado coming down your street. Um, I'm the guy that goes outside to look for it, right? <laughs> I'm not condoning that. I'm not encouraging that. I'm not saying. I'm just, You're just, that guy, aren't you? Yeah, I am that guy. So when we hear that there's some sort of plane crash at the World Trade Center, we're not very far from the, from the Trade Center. Two or three of us, we go outside and, and we look. And when you come around the corner and you're standing up looking at, you know, if not America's big, biggest signature of, of, a, of a landmark of the World Trade Center, you know, smoke, you know, just pouring out of the top of the building, you know, you, you get a lot of, start getting a lot of thoughts in your mind, like, you know, how many people are in the building, you know. So you were close <laughs> enough, Rob, that you could see the building when you came oh, yeah. out of your hotel. Oh, yeah. Um. 
you know, you know, how many people are in the building? How are they going to get out? I remember even analyzing it for a couple seconds. If you were below the impact zone of flying to floor 83, 84, 85, whatever it was, if you were below that, you might be able to get out. But if you were on the floors above, you know, I didn't know, you know, how are you going to get out? And then you could tell that it was a very large aircraft. You know, how many people were on the plane? You know, how, you know, you know where did the plane go? It didn't come out the other side, you know? And then, um, Somebody said something, one of my coworkers said something about, he, he thought he saw something else. And the skyline in New York City is very tall. So, you know, if you see something and see another plane coming through, you'd see it for half a second before it goes to the other side of the building. And then before you know it, the, the second plane slammed into the second tower. And, and you uh, saw it happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's um, pure panic sets in at that point you realize the first plane wasn't an accident at all right and uh i remember i mean the streets of new york city are always very loud very busy very hectic um but I remember on a quiet the, day on a on sunday a morning at 10 a.m yeah 100 yeah and i remember there was a collective just scream from everybody on the street when the second plane came in and um i ran I ran back to the hotel and went back to my hotel room, trying to call my wife and, and let them let them, my family know that I was safe. Right. And, uh, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that when, I don't know when this happened, I'm guessing it happened after the second plane hit, but the, the U S government uh, shut down all the landlines in the, in the area uh, for security reasons. Right. So myself, so you were unable to get to your family. Yeah, uh, my cell phone wasn't working. I kept getting the message of all circuits are busy. Um, tried to call from my hotel room, nothing. Went down to the to, to the lobby of the hotel. Uh, we still had pay phones back then. Uh, I was trying to trying to call home, and that wasn't working. The hotel phones weren't working. It uh, that began a, like, literally a, a three quarters of a day. Just my only goal was to get to a phone that, that was working, so I can call, talk to my family. The rest of that day, um, no matter where you were, I was here in Washington, D.C., close to the Pentagon, um, mm -hmm. wherever you were in, in America, wherever you were in the world, we were glued to, to our televisions. Yeah. You're right there. Yeah. And you are blocks away. Um, if you're just joining us, Rob Quillen is our guest today. He's written a book called Why Wait? Fulfilling Dreams from Tragedy. We brought him back in to talk about uh, his chance meeting with one of the pilots of United Airlines Flight 93, that day afterwards, um, as much as you can recall, how did that day unfold? And when were you able to finally get to your family and let them know you're okay? So um, I was able to get in phone contact with my family. Actually, I had to call um, my assistant. I was able to get a hold of her uh, through one of our 800 numbers. And I said, you know, call my wife and let, let, let her know that I'm okay. And she was able to call. She was out in California. She was able to call. And then it was probably late that afternoon, early evening, before I was able to talk to my, talk to my wife. And that night, um, so on top of everything, seeing everything, but my, I didn't realize this the night before when I checked in, but I had a balcony on my hotel. And it, um, it was... It was late in the afternoon, early evening, and I, just for some reason, opened up the curtains in my hotel room, 
And one realized that a balcony, but number two, the balcony was facing towards uh, the Twin Towers. And uh, which at that point were no longer there. No longer yeah, they, both, of them, both of them had collapsed at that point. Um, and I remember just talking to my wife for the longest time. And, um, you know, I told her stuff like I couldn't remember if I told my kids that I loved them. I remember telling her that I wasn't 100% sure that I was coming home. Um, and I'll never forget, and you're going to learn a lot about me right now, but um, it was right about 9 30, 10 o'clock at night, and I ordered, uh, ordered some beer to come up to my room from, via room service, right? And this Middle Eastern man who's the, the room service guy knocks on the door. I come in and I'm signing my ticket and he looks out the window toward the balcony and he's seeing everything. And, and you know, the streets were just, they were gridlocked, you know, and, 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 but you could still see, you know, first responders coming through on the HOV lane, you know, trying to get there. And we were just standing there looking at everything. And I said, do you want to have a beer with me? And he said, yes. And we Stood there and we drank beer. We didn't really say anything. And he goes, he goes, Mr. Quillen, he goes, do you have kids? I go, I do. He goes, what are your children's names? I go, well, my son was just born and I named him John Fitzgerald after JFK. And then I said, I have a daughter. Her name is Abigail. And he looks at me and he goes, do you know what Abigail means in my language? I go, I do. He goes, it means my father's love. And then he entered into a conversation about, he was very concerned about his homeland. I told him that I didn't think that knowing where he was from, I said, I don't think you have anything to worry about. And he goes, no, this is, he called it 20 years ago tomorrow. He said, you know, this is going to create a massive war. And so, um, I stayed up to about three or four o'clock in the morning, just standing on the balcony, just overlooking everything. Um, the next day, you know, the, the group I was with tried to have a sales meeting, but it wasn't working. And then um, they decided to tell everybody to go home. And how are you going to get home? Nobody knows. Right. All Nobody's the flights flying. were canceled, right? Nobody's flying. For a long time. For almost for a, a week. Long time, no flights. For a long time. And so I called my travel department and I said, what, what am I going to do? So uh, they, my, if you're able to get a rental car, which was a whole nother story, right? Almost um, impossible because there was a run on rental cars. I yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is probably two or three days later. Like, like there was a bunch of guys that li- worked with me that live in Texas. So they rented a van, you know, and they're driving back. And some guys were in Florida. So they rented a van and went back. You know, I live in Nebraska. You know, I'm the only, the only sales rep in the Midwest, you know. Right. So my fly, my uh, travel department, you know, I think we had started to hear that the, man, the airport in Manchester, New Hampshire was going to open up and let, there was a, a thousands of American citizens stuck up in Canada, right? And so Manchester, New Hampshire was going to be the first airport that they could fly into to get back to the United States. So the thought process was, if that's the first airport that's going to uh, Take flights, that'll be the first place, place that they'll let people fly out. So I, I got a ride from a coworker to Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, went to the airport. I think this was Friday morning, Saturday morning. There were thousands of people in the airport. 
in Manchester, New Hampshire. In Manchester, New Hampshire. airport. Yeah. And um, I mean, thousands of people. And pretty soon, uh, an employee for United jumps up on the counter. Um, and he just he doesn't have a mic, just starts yelling. He goes, there will not be any outbound flights for several days. And just go home, basically. So I got a car in Manchester. And so I started to drive home from Manchester to uh, the Lincoln, Nebraska. And, and by the way, if you're ever curious, it's a 27 hour drive, <laughs> which is a long time to be sitting alone with your thoughts, right? But so I stopped in uh, my first night that I stopped, I stopped in Syracuse, New York to spend the night. And um, I called my wife and let her know that where I was at. And a lot of people don't realize this, but for the most part, when 9-11 happened, that's when we started to get the slow roll ticker underneath the screen on, on news channels. Mm-hmm. That was that was kind of the first time that they, because there were just so much information they needed to get out, right? And uh, I didn't see this, but my wife said, you know, because I, I don't know if you saw it or not, but Jason's name came across the screen. And I, I obviously, I told her the story about the pilot and all this stuff, but um and I, I knew, I knew that Jason was, was involved in it. I mean, he told me his flight schedule on the 10th for the 11th. He told me he was flying from Newark to San Francisco. Um, and so it, that's when it just reality set in that, that this was happening. You know, this is, that Jason was no longer going to be with us. Rob Quillen is our guest. The book is Why Wait? Fulfilling Dreams from Tragedy. It's uh, about a story that it is almost uh, unbelievable, a chance meeting the day before the September 11th attacks with one of the pilots of United Flight 93, Captain Jason Dahl. So you had actually gotten friendly enough with him that he had told you his flight schedule. You knew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and what brought that up is that, um, um, so right before, you know, when you take off, you can't do anything on the plane until you get about 10,000 feet, right? And uh, I mean, the, the flight attendants aren't walking around. You can't turn your laptops on nothing. And right after we took off, a flight attendant walked over to him and handed him a beer. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I, I made an a, a, a inappropriate comment to him that I can't say here, but um, um, he was like, do you want a beer? And I'm like, yeah, I want a beer. And so we had a couple of beers on the flight. And then the flight attendant came over and offered him one more. And he looked at his watch. And he goes, I can't fly. I can't because I, I can't drink 12 hours or whatever, 24 hours, whatever it was. And so that's when he leaned over. He said, I got an eight o'clock flight to San Francisco in the morning. That's, that's how we, that's how we got to that, that point. So you had promised uh, these tickets to Captain Dahl and his son to go to this NASCAR race. Right. Captain Dahl's no longer there. What goes through your mind? Again, going back to that 27-hour drive, um, at some point during that that drive, I made the decision that I was still going to get Matt to the race. And I made the decision to go even a little bit further that I was going to do whatever I possibly can to get him to meet Jeff Gordon. And so when I got home, you know, obviously holding my kids for as long as I possibly could, you know, um, I kind of tell this vision that I have to my wife and she's like, well, absolutely. She goes, aren't you putting this together yet? She goes, you were, you were on that flight for that reason. Jason was on that flight for that reason. He, you struck up a conversation with him for this reason, you know, and, and 
So we did. We we it was going to be a mission of mine to, if nothing else, get mapped to the race. Right. So I started. I thought it'd be simple just to reach out to Sandy Dahl, Jason's widow. You know, pick up the phone and, and call her. Didn't think that every media person in the world was calling Sandy Dahl as well, right? So she had her phone temporarily disconnected. And so, <laughs> tell you how dumb I really am, I was like, well, it's no big deal. I'll just call United Airlines and tell them the story. And can you give me Sandy's phone number? <laughs> They're like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so um, I decided to write a letter to Sandy. And I overnighted it to her. And in the meantime, I started to work on getting NASCAR behind this whole thing. Um, and through a mutual friend, Marty Smith, who um, now covers college football for ESPN, but at the time covered NASCAR for ESPN, just wrote an amazing book called uh, uh, Never Settle. And um, I reached out to him and I said, hey, can you get me in front of Jeff Gordon? And at the time, like I said, he was covering, he was writing, he was a writer for NASCAR.com at the time. He goes, let me do an interview with you and put it on the website, see if we get any traction, any traction with it. So he did the interview with me, went up on the website, and everything just took off from there. I mean, Jeff Gordon reached out, Jeff Gordon's team reached out, Jeff Gordon's PR person reached out, NASCAR reached out, and they're like, whatever you want for this race weekend is, is yours, 100% yours. So we had to work through some details on that. And I remember one of Jeff Gordon's PR person called me. She's like, we're, we're set to go. NASCAR is set to go. Kansas Speedway is set to go. Uh, we're going to fly out a jet and pick Matt up, you know, so he doesn't have to fly commercial. And she's like, is the family all on board? I'm like, I haven't heard from the family. She's like, you probably want to find that out before we, we do a whole bunch more on this. So I, I track the, the FedEx letter. It gets there. It says it's delivered. I don't hear anything from Sandy. I don't hear anything from Sandy. Finally, like two days later, um, I get a phone call. It's a miracle that I was able to get a phone call because at this point, some of the media was starting to pick up on this. And so I was doing a lot of, a lot of interviews, um, scheduling a lot of interviews, stuff like that. My phone rang all day and the phone rang one time. And I was like, this better not be media again. And the voice I heard over the phone was, hey, Rob, it's Sandy Dahl. And we both just immediately started crying. And, you know, I remember when I didn't hear from Sandy, I had guilt that maybe she didn't want to hear the story. Maybe she didn't want to know the details of Jason's long last conversation. Maybe I said too much. Maybe I overstepped my boundaries. You know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this thing. And she called. And after she told me, after we apologized to each other for crying, uh, she said, I apologize for not getting in touch with you now, but we had Jason's memorial yesterday then i felt like really bad because <laughs> i'm trying to make this thing work and i didn't think about memorials funeral or whatever you know sure and um she we had to do a lot of things on the family side to get matt there but matt and um and, and his grandfather uh were the guests of the kansas speedway uh 19 days after 9-11 which is crazy by itself right and so 19 days after 9-11 we're making this dream come true were you there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Did, yeah we Matt, and did he meet Jeff Gordon? Oh, yeah. So Jeff um, had dinner with Matt and his, and his grandfather the Saturday night before the race. Um, um, got to come to the uh, – Matt and his grandfather got to come to the track very early. 
they spent some time alone time with Jeff. Jeff took him to the driver's meeting, which I was at. And then Jeff, Jeff took him to uh, the chapel service that happens every Sunday before the race. And then they put a special seat up on top of the pit box uh, for Matt. So he could sit on top of the pit box inside the track and, and watch Jeff uh, race that day. And in uh, true Hollywood fashion, not only did Jeff Gordon race that day, but he went on and he won the race. And he, he dedicated, he came across the, the start finish line and he dedicated the race win to Matt. What an amazing story. Rob Quillen writes about it. And why wait fulfilling dreams for tragedy from headline books. It's available at headlinebooks.com. Uh, and uh, boy, what an amazing, amazing journey that's been. So you then went on to write for a Jeff Gordon website and uh, have had some involvement now with ESPN.com. And, yeah. uh, would it be fair to say this changed somewhat the trajectory of, of your life, that, that event, oh, that meeting with Jason Dahl? All of it. Every single part of my life is, is different. You know, and going back to what I briefly touched on earlier, um, you know, I, I used to fly a ton and I always did all the way up until COVID. But, um, you know, Airplane time for me is, is my time. You know, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm so just going to the back that I had a conversation with somebody on an airplane um, that changed my life. Everything, everything has changed. You know, the, the meaning of your life, your mission of life, um, even the, I mean, the, the purpose of life. And, 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 you know, it's called, the book is called Why Wait? And, and I give speeches about it all the time. And, and I talk about, the ability to make a difference in somebody else's life. And oftentimes I talk about, it doesn't cost you anything to be kind or to be nice or to help somebody out, you know? And, and I think at the end of the day, we're all here to help each other, you know? And, and, and that's the part that where it has changed my life because it was always about me, you know? And it was, you know, I, I wanted to be the greatest salesperson in the world. I wanted to make as much money as I possibly could. You know, but then you start thinking about, you know, well, maybe he need to be the best dad that you can, you know, or maybe the person across from you on that aisle of the plane is going through something, you know, and just just be nice to him, you know. So it's changed everything. Yeah, it touches on on the concept of, of servant leadership quite a bit. Um, would encourage you to pick the book up, and now that that we're twenty years away from September eleventh, two thousand one, there are. Uh, there's a whole generation of folks that, that weren't around then, and this is history for them. I have a 16-year-old son. He has seen me be somewhat emotional this week, and he asked about it, so I told him why. But I think this book could help, uh, could help tell that story. What an amazing story. I mean, you eventually, uh, because of, of this story arc, we're on the Today Show, uh, NBC Nightly News, Tom Brokaw, uh, mm-hmm. talked to you about this, and and is there, did I read this correctly that Sandy Dahl, uh, Captain Dahl's widow, actually established a scholarship in his name for aviation students? Yeah, it's uh, the Jason Dahl Scholarship Foundation, and it was created to help high school kids and college kids um, that want to get their aviation degree. That's how Jason got into flying. He got a scholarship from San Jose State. And so uh, Sandy thought that that would be a great way, the best way to, to kind of remember Jason. And I sat on the board for, for a long time and, and they do, they do such amazing work. Um, they, they talk about making a difference. Um, you know, there's, there's kids that probably won't be able to go to college. they get these scholarships and now get to go fulfill their dreams of, of being a pilot. 
with all of the attention that, that has come in the wake of 9-11, um, you know, there was a movie, United 93, all the stories, all the TV coverage, and of course, it's ramping up uh, you know, an awful lot now, the World Trade Center movie with Nicolas Cage. How does somebody like you, who was so intimately involved in that historic event, how do you handle that stuff? I mean, do you, is it hard for you, um, Rob, to watch United 93? Did you watch it the World Trade Center? Will, will you have to keep the TV off a lot? Tell me what goes through your mind. So I've never watched any of the 9-11 movies um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but one, I don't think I need to. I, I, was, I was there, you know. Um, but I also recognize the fact that Hollywood creates stuff for Hollywood, right, and to, to make money. So I know that I've been told um, that maybe the Flight 93 movie wasn't 100% accurate. Um, so I don't want to be exposed to non-truths, if you will. Um, but I do, and I'll probably watch, start watching tomorrow, like National Geographic every year has their, you know, remember the 9-11 stuff. I'll watch some of that stuff um, just to kind of help remain humble and make myself realize that while I feel like I lost something on 9-11, I, I didn't lose what so many other people did. Um so, but I don't, I don't, you know, I, I live it every day, you know, and, and so I don't need to spend a lot of time on, on, on that stuff. You donate a, a portion of the proceeds from the sales of, of the book and your speaking engagements directly to that, that foundation, the Jason Dell Scholarship Foundation. Um, as we wrap up, let's bring it to the, the present day. You know, where is Matt Dahl today, Sandy, and, and where are you today? So unfortunately, um, Sandy passed away a few years ago. Um, and, and, you know, Matt, and, and I respect this with all of my heart. Um, Matt decided to not be a part of the foundation or want to maintain a relationship uh, with me, which I get, I understand. I mean, I couldn't imagine being a 15 year old boy um, who's incredibly close to his father. Uh, they were more probably best friends than father and son. Um, I could imagine my father being killed on during a terrorist attack, terrorist attack, and then every year we're going to talk about it on TV, you know. Um, so distancing distancing himself from from me and, and the foundation, I understand, I respect, I respect. So, but I hear from time to time that he's doing well, and at the end of the day, that's all that matters to me. Um, as far as me, I. I'll never get over what happened that day. I'll never get over um, giving these speeches and making a difference to people's lives. I mean, I, I, I give speeches and I challenge the crowd at the end of the speech. Um, I, I tell them, I ask them to close their eyes for three seconds at the end of, end of my speech, right? And I said, during that three second time, I want you to think of one person you want to reach out to and make their dreams come true before it's too late. So I give them the three seconds and I ask them to raise their hand if they thought of one person. And without fail, 80% of the room will raise their hand. And I always smile when I get to that point because that's the whole point of the speech, right? Is we're here to make other people's dreams come true. And that's, you know, even, even today, I get letters, emails, social media messages saying, hey, I heard you speak and this is what we did for this family. You know, and, and that's beautiful. That, that's that's what I'm here for. So I won't ever give up 
trying to do that for people. If there was a message that you want people to take away from why wait, that, that may be above and beyond the, you know, don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. What do you want people to take away from that book? Um, it doesn't cost you anything to be kind to somebody. It doesn't cost you anything to make a difference in somebody's life. The only thing it'll cost you is the time in your mind to make a decision to go do it. Let's leave it there. Rob Quillen is the author of Why Wait? Fulfilling Dreams from Tragedy. It's about this chance meeting on September 10th, 2001, between Rob and Captain Jason Dahl, who was one of the pilots of United Flight 93, one of the heroes that went down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. I'll, uh, Rob, now that we've made this connection, I'll be thinking about you a lot on September 11th. And I appreciate you taking time with us today. No problem. I appreciate it, Bert. Thank you very much. The book is available at headlinebooks.com. You can also visit amazon.com, wherever books are sold, and ask for Rob Quillen's Why Wait? Fulfilling Dreams from Tragedy. Thank you so much for being with us today for the Big Time Talker podcast in conjunction with Zoom into Books from our friends at Headline Books. I'm Burke Allen in Washington, D.C. Go out there and make it a great day. Bye, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.